Hello. Hello, Merlin man. How are you? Good morning, Good Dan morning, Benjamin. Sir. How are you? How are you? Now, you know, before the show began, I wanted to, you and I were tossing around some, some ideas. We had a couple of good ones. But before we do that, um, I know you're there on the floor at, at CES and, you know, doing, doing some coverage uh, for us. I wanted to jump into that and see if we could kind of go over some of the highlights, uh, the, the what you need to know about CES 2015. We could jump right in and do do that first because I know that's what. Hello, Dan. Dan, I'm reporting from the floor of CES here in Las <laughs> Vegas. It's a tremendous showing this year. There, uh, I've I've found an adjustable hat that uh, changes <laughs> with the rain, and there are a number of people that can be purchased for a very small amount of money to come to your home and uh, uh, be part of the Internet of Things. <laughs> I don't know. I got nothing. No, I'm sitting here riding the Skype. You threw me off. I'm riding the Skype. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, me too. How, how do I sound on your end? You sound better than usual. Whatever you did, keep it, keep, keep it up. Once you get it up, keep it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's even a consideration. Our anymore. topic for today. Our topic for today. Get it up, keep it up. <laughs> we'll be taking calls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mark, I think Mark, it... from, Mark from Grand Rapids is on the phone. <laughs> he has a question about keeping it up without actually getting it up. <laughs> This is all things considered. Um, hmm. um, 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 good morning. Yeah. How are things way? You know what it is? I, you know, I, I'm not, uh, you know me, once I'm on the game, once I'm doing the show, yeah. zzz, lock and load, 100% attention, just that my computer is being a little bit bulky today. That's why I'm confused. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I didn't drink enough coffee. Uh, um, what were we talking about? CES, you know, I guess... I don't know. CES, it's one of those things. Have you ever gone to it? No, you know what? I never have. And the couple times I sort of flirted with the idea, people have said, oh, yeah, you don't want to go. You don't want to go. You don't want to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, hmm. It seems like one of those things where like, it, it, it's a trade show. It's a trade show where it seems like the nominal idea of CES is to say, here's the thing I made. Do you want to just make and distribute that? Like it's kind of like a like a, a science fair for belts or something. I mean, isn't that kind of how it works? It's totally. you know, it's only over time that it's become a thing where people go, oh, this is where I will go and and like report on, you know, interesting iPhone holsters or whatever. I mean, it, it is at the heart of it an industry event, right? Totally is. And it's I, this is where you know, for for people again, consumer electronics, right? For people who are interested in that kind of thing, you get everything from the non-Apple type companies. You know, Samsung is announcing their new TVs and their new fridge, and this other company has a watch that works just like the Moto 360 for an iPhone. You know, you get all these little gizmos and gadgets and this industry stuff that comes out of it. Uh, but I don't. I, I mean, I, like for me, that's so. I'm so not interested in like the day-to-day gadget tv releases like we got our tv from costco you know um and it's like <laughs> so so do we <laughs> yeah you know and like that to me that's that's perfectly fine and the tv is great and people like john syracuse are turning over in their grave when we say things like that because you know they're like we have the ability to go and buy a tv based primarily on like price and number of hdmi inputs and we're very happy with that TV, you know, like it serves my family very well. And I think CES is all about these kinds of updates and releases. And yesterday I went through The Verge does really good coverage of CES. 
And they, you know, I looked at all the things that are coming out of it and they're really like, oh, HP came out with this tiny little PC that runs Windows that maybe we could use as a Skype machine. But like other than that, like for me, that's that's not that, not that interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, hmm. I've, I've started to, I used to think of myself as somebody who was really into technology as a thing. And I think what I've realized about myself is that, um, and this is this is a very very basic uh, dichotomy, but there are for people who are enthusiasts of using technology. I think there are the people who really, I mean, when I listen to something like ATP and I hear them talking about chips and Haswells and stuff, and I, I don't I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I don't know. I don't understand any of that stuff. Um, I mean, I think there are people who are genuine, genuinely interested in what the technology is capable of and how it can be formed into something that becomes like a useful thing right. that improves your experience, whether that's, you know, at an enterprise level or in your pocket. Right. But I think I've, I've realized over time, I'm much more on the side of like, you know, once the thing is out, and this, this even goes for Apple like announcements where for myself, I'm, I'm, I think much more interested in like, okay, when it's all done, it gets a white box. Like that's when I'll be ready to like, look at it and see if it's a neat thing. Yeah. And it, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but the, I think the difficult or the, uh, the difficult thing for me and probably the profitable thing for the people who write about this stuff is the people in between who like the second that they hear about this new technology are salivating over like when they can get it. You know what I mean? So hearing about something like a self-adjusting belt is the kind of thing where, and did you hear about the self-adjusting belt? No, actually, I haven't. Apparently, there's a belt that self-adjusts. There's a, a smart belt you can get that, um, uh, this could be a hoax, I don't know. But apparently, that was one of the hot items was a belt that can uh, get bigger and smaller through your day. I'm so you know. like if you if you eat a big lunch, loosens a little bit. Yeah, yeah. See my yeah. my seatbelt in my car kind of does that. If if it detects that you're going down a like an incline or you're going around a curve or something kind of quickly, uh, it will it w- it will kind of slightly tighten a little bit. Mm. But I don't know if I want my belt to to all around my my pants to do that. Mm-hmm. That's personal. That's not a safety thing. <laughs> if someone's tightening a belt around me, that's because I've asked them to earlier and we have a code word. That's right. Belt and scheisse. Yeah. Because yeah. tight. Safe words. Yeah. You don't want the belt, uh, belt and scheisse. No, not. I mean, like I'm all right with, with the idea of it doing that, but I think it would take some getting yeah. used to. You should, she should really, I, it's not something I would buy at a trade show and just pop on. I would want to have some, have some discussions to make sure there's mutual trust with my belt. You wouldn't get it vetted mm. first. Um, Okay, well, you know, Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you. It's officially a new year. It is. This is our first show of, uh, of 2015. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So that means we've done this... F- Wait a minute. Oh, my God. I think I lost a year, Dan. Have we done this for almost four years? It's, see, that's what I was looking at, and that seems it seems wrong to me, but the, uh, the last show we did in, in 2014 was December 30th, and if I go back 21 pages on, on the, uh, the 5x5 site... And I look at episode number one, it says January 18th, 2011 at 2 p.m. is when that was posted, an hour and 29 minutes. Alligator in the bathroom. Mm. So what that... Classic. So going from 2011 to 2015 would would be four years on the 18th of this month, 12 days from now. Jeez Louise, that is so crazy. Well, congratulations. Congratulations to you. Yeah, congratulations to us. Four episodes your, more than they thought we would do. Mm, how, how's your, um, how's it going so far? Strong. I feel strong. You do? Yeah. 
Wow. What about you? How are you? How's your bursitis? Uh, you know, I mean, everything's pretty much the same. Yeah. It's uh, we're every back school's back in, and that's that's good. I think. You know, the thing is, we we and by we, I mean mostly me, I. Uh, a lot of our, <laughs> right, a lot we, of our, the collective, the universal we, meaning you. Because well, sometimes my wife will accidentally hear some of a show that I've done, <laughs> and uh, in this case, I want to make sure that I'm being straight about this. Okay, it's that, it's that, like when we go into like vacation mode, whether that's you know, uh, especially over summertime, but. This this the first runner up after summertime is Christmas when you got two weeks off. Like we do a lot of uh, stuff we wouldn't normally do. Like we watch a lot more TV because you know our our rule of rule is if there's school the next day, except for Sunday nights. Sunday nights is still a TV night, but generally you know you don't watch TV on a, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, and that goes out the window for mostly because of me. Like I want to watch I want to watch a movie. Like I want to watch you know Over the Garden Wall or you know whatever Adventure Time. And so, you know, when you lose that structure, like small or flimsy that the structure is, like once it's gone, it's, it's really hard to get back. Yeah. Yeah. And also our daughter's kind of going through, she's definitely in the pushback mode right now where like, it's always like one more second, one more minute, five more minutes. Oh yeah. And then, and then you give her, you give her five more minutes, you give her another five more minutes. Like you've now, you, you think you've been nice, but now she's just exploiting that. Oh, right. Because she knows now, like, like. She's figured out that if she says, oh, I just need one more minute, that she'll get another minute. Right. And there's no, there's no good end to it. Because like last night, I thought it was for a good cause because she was just about done building her Lego creator set and it was going really great. But then she got to the end. She's like, five more minutes. Okay, right. Five <laughs> more minutes. You got to do bath. All right. And then after you get five minutes. So already we're, we're screwing up. But then she finally did finish building it. It's like, okay, congratulations. And it was amazing. But it's like, it's bedtime. She's like, oh, I wouldn't have built it if I knew I couldn't play with it. And it's like, oh, God. Has she started anything at, at school doing, like trying to do trades with people of, for stuff? Yeah, there's been numerous trades. What, what are oh, you guys trading? Oh, no, I'm so glad because I need, I need some serious help and maybe counseling about this. Oh, Cash, no. Yesterday, Cash came and said, there, there's a boy in his class who wants him to, wants to give him a not really completely specified amount of money. And my son, for whatever this amount of money is, will give him one of his Lego minifigures and $3. (laughs) And I'm trying to explain to him like, wait, Mm. you want to give him, you're giving him a Lego minifigure and $3, which he got, you know, for the last couple teeth that he, uh, lost. So it's his, it's his money. Mm-hmm. And this other kid in class wants to give him some money. And I said, well, n- first of all, thank you. It's good that you came to me first because you're, you were going <laughs> it's to, a, it's a scheme. It's a swindle. It's like a Ponzi thing. I said, you're going to get your, you're about it's a, to, I think it's a, it's a straight con is what it is. Yeah. It's a grift. We call it. It's a grift. Yes. And I said, I said, first of all, you know, if you're doing a trade, in the spirit of a good trade, the trade has to be fair. You have to get, and I said, so here's an example of a fair trade. He's He's got hit this little, like it's like a thermos cup thing and MJ has like a thermos cup thing and his has like Batman and it's blue and MJ's has like Hello Kitty and it's pink, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I set these two things on the counter and I said, okay, we got these, both of these things came from Target. We paid the same amount of money. I said, let's say they were eight bucks. I don't remember how much they were, but let's say they were eight bucks. 
I said, if, if you wanted to trade for MJ because you wanted the pink one and she wanted the blue one, that's a fair trade because they're worth the same amount of money and they each have the same like inherent value to them. You know, I said, but like this really cool, um, you know, mastodon tusk that you have, this mammoth tusk piece that you have, it's, it's like a little chip that, uh, that someone gave him as a present. I said that you couldn't trade that for the thermos because even if they were both worth $8, that was a gift and it has more inherent value because if someone gave it to you, you can't trade. Good luck with that one. He's, he's so, he was so pissed off at me. He was so pissed. He was like, I'm doing, I'm doing the trade, you know, and I'm doing it anyway. I'm going to do the trade anyway. I'm like, I mean, it took me like 20 minutes to talk him down from this ledge. Mm. What am I, what am I supposed to do? I don't know, because the impulse is to try and both, I think, educate and protect. Protect first and educate second. But yes, I Mm -hmm. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But just in that sense of like, well, you know, first of all, you're kind of getting ripped off. Totally ripped off. That's the education part. But then the protection part is like, once that thing's gone, it's gone. Right. You know, there's no, uh, there's no takey backies on that. So I don't, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I mean, like, I think there's some kinds of trades that make a lot of sense. Like if you're at a birthday party and you get like one of those cute little animal erasers. Right. You get the koala and they get the horse and they get, they get the horse or the birthday cake and you say, look, I've already got the koala, but I don't have the birthday cake. Would you want to trade? Yeah. Like the, the, that's the kind of, you know, quid pro quo Clarice. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Those you can't argue with, but, uh, boy, this, you should find out about that kid. He, he sounds like a. Like a monster. I feel like he's so, a lot taller and older than everyone else in the class, and he's <laughs> just just speculating. That he his parents kind of red shirted him just to see what you know what he could do. <laughs> yeah, Ellie Ellie had a red shirt in her class last really? year. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, they're wily. You know they they know when the bathroom breaks are. They can really leverage things. Uh, I don't know, Dan. That's 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 going to be difficult. But, you know, it's, uh, it's part of this new, the new long slog of like, oh, I thought I understood so many things. I, and, have you oh, ever been the, on the receiving end of a bad trade? Oh, goodness, yes. I mean, I'm sure I have. I can't, I can't call one to mind immediately. But, you know, here's the thing. That, that kid, the tall kid with the red shirt, yeah. is he's using like a pretty smart sales trick that works with any con, which is, you know... You find out what that person really, really wants. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, there's 100% clarity, apparently, about getting this thing that you really want. And once you've got somebody on the hook, you find out what it is that they really want, you can really leverage that, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember- You need to start changing the terms in the middle of the deal. and like, well, actually, I really like this. No, I want it, you know. I don't know. It, it's it, like, I want, I want to explain it in a way that makes sense. I think he, by the end of the- the time, I think he kind of got it. He at least got that it's not going to happen, that it wasn't fair. But I remember when I was a kid, we used to have this uh, this amazing device called an Atari 2600. Mm-hmm. And games for this thing were very expensive, uh, very, very expensive. Uh, and so a lot of the time we would trade with our friends, right? You would have what your a game. What game cost? Well, it was, it was a game like, what, 30, 40 bucks, something yeah, like I that? I think it was in the 30 to 40. To, I remember specifically one time I got Qbert for, for the 2600 and it was $36. And my parents raised such a stink about that game and how expensive it was. But I'm going to put it in the, the 25 to $40 range, I think. Does that sound right? 
I think that sounds, I'm trying to, I, I, if my computer worked, I'd Google it. But that sounds, I remember it being like, and that, so that's like $16,000 in today's. <laughs> today's, yes, that would be, that. that's the equivalent. But at the time, you know, you might get one game and your friend would have another game. So you would trade it. You wouldn't trade it for keeps. You would trade it for, uh, you know, for a week or whatever. And there were a few kids in my school, in my class, who were fairly well off. I remember, you know, they lived in the big house. Their parents picked them up in the nice car. They had all the good games for the most part. And I remember I had gotten one game for my birthday and my, you know, this, this other kid had, uh, had his, I think his name was Craig, and he had another game that I really wanted to try out. So we traded for a week. And when he gave it back to me, you know, didn't think anything of it, came home, put it in, and it was uh, combat. Now, for those who don't know... Oh, my God. The Atari 2600 came with Initially. combat. Yeah. Initially. Mm-hmm. Combat was maybe one of the worst games ever made next to well, the... Well, and vis-a-vis, if you owned an Atari 2600, you already had combat. Right. So why was this game that had a different label on it, I don't remember what it was... Uh, let's pretend it was Yars Revenge, which it wasn't because I never would have traded oh, that for anything. This is the best game ever. Game. Best game ever. But let's pretend it was. So you, it looks like Yars Revenge. You put it in. Combat plays. Why? You could open these cartridges up, and inside there was the little microchip on the little board. And you could just pull that out and put another. And this is what he'd done. Oh, that's that's reprehensible. And I would. There was no no justice. Never prevailed in this. I could never. It, the concept. Of exp- how do I explain this to my parents enough to get them to explain it to his parents, who of course are going to say, "My child's a saint; he wouldn't do something like that." Your kids just can confuse it. You know, it never. I was never able to work it up the chain, and uh, never got the game back. And, and maybe, Still maybe your parents. Sure, and maybe your parents were like a little, you know, unsympathetic because you were already uh, monkeying around with all this expensive stuff you shouldn't be playing with. Probably. Well, you know, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's one thing, like, if it's your, uh, what's, what's the thing uh, you touch the scroll with, your Methuselah? Like, what if it was, if it's something oh, that they right. recognize, <laughs> if it's something they recognize as being important, you say, you, you, now you trade your Methuselah for Yar's Revenge, and, and like, you know, you're not going to be welcome in the tribe. It's a, it's a yod, but yes, I know what you're talking about. I think you're thinking of the hat. <laughs> yes, I am thinking of that. The yod is where we play. Um, <laughs> must <laughs> Anyway, oh my God. <laughs> I am your God. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, what has happened to the? Anyway, yeah, boy, I remember. So what I remember, I never owned an Atari because we did not have the means. Um, but I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Just the embedded references are great. I'm trying to keep up with them. We're gonna make a wiki. Uh, a wiki. Uh, um, but you know what the thing was like, the, the, here's the other thing about Atari games and, um, is that they, the difference in quality, well, first of all, there was a certain ceiling to quality cause there's only so much you could do with, you know, the available, you know, what you could make for an Atari 2600. And when I was a kid, that was the game system. Like some people had the Coleco thing. My friend had the Intellivision and television was really good for baseball. And television baseball was amazing. I remember that because you could actually like hit the pad and like move a player in a different position. Right. It was crazy. It was crazy. But that was pretty non-canonical to have in, in, in television. But everybody who was in the game like had uh, an Atari 2600. And the difference in the quality of the games was staggering. Yes. And they were costly. And the thing was, I mean, so initially, I, I don't know if it always started ship with combat, but that's what I remember combat 
And Combat was also one of the weirdos. Combat was like the same way you get nunchuck, nunchuck games on a, on a Wii. Like back then, it was kind of weird. That was one of the few that I played a lot that used the wheel. Yes. You had to go find the wheel, you know? And, um, but then at one point, they, they bundled it with, bundled Pac-Man with it after Pac-Man came out. Really? Yeah, that's See, what I Pac-Man remember. Pac-Man would have been a nice, a nice get. I think, you know, the, the paddle, you mentioned the paddle. There was that other game, Night Driver or something like that, where you would, mm-hmm. you would, you would, you would use the paddle for it. But we had these strange, these, and, but like it was so, just the idea of playing video games like in your house. Oh my God. It didn't cost a quarter each time. It didn't cost a quarter. And it didn't even matter that they weren't that great. I mean, I remember when they came out with Asteroid, for example, and Asteroids in the, in the, in the arcade was this amazing vector graphics thing that looked, and even still today looks kind of futuristic, but Mm -hmm. the version that they made for the Atari, everything was kind (laughs) of chunky and blobby and it was nothing like the uh, Asteroids in the, in the arcade, but didn't matter. Like we liked it anyway, you know? No, absolutely. Just just having it in the house was amazing. Well, the the Atari uh, cabinet games, like I'm thinking of what they did, like Lunar Lander, yep. and Red Baron, right and they really excelled at those vector games. Did they eventually do Tempest? Was that them? Tem- I I want to. I know Battle Zone was one of Battle Zone. Yeah, but all those games, they really they were so great at really capitalizing on like the, the Pixar kind of idea. Of, mm-hmm. Like, what can we really? What can, what will look good? Ah, you know what? A jaggy rock going through the air will look good. We can do that. <laughs> a biplane. I think we can handle that. Right. Or, you know, Lunar Lander was ah, it just... But also the, the thing was that they. I think what they got really well, the gameplay... And I'm not a gamer, so forgive me. But I, I really loved video games as a kid. But like that ability on the, on the cabinet game, like Asteroids, all the moves on the Atari games felt so subtle. Mm-hmm. Like you just give a little... Psst, <laughs> that little blast yeah. to accelerate just a little bit and then you do the wraparound, you come around and like, you know, yeah, there was a system to it, but yeah, you're right. But I mean, like to me, like, I don't know, I, I wasn't super involved and again, I didn't own one, but to me, Yars Revenge was was kind of a high watermark. Mm-hmm. Still a great you game. Know? Still a great game. Yeah. Oh, you know, and also like was, um, I liked, uh, I like Moon Patrol and I like Pitfall. Moon Patrol, I, I bought a 2600 when I was in my 20s. I bought it at a flea market, a shoebox full of games for mm. like $3 or whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I brought it home and it was like, hmm, Moon Patrol, this looks kind of interesting. And, and just like for hours and hours, I would play Moon Patrol. It, of Activision, because you mentioned Pitfall, which was one of my favorites. The other one that I absolutely loved uh, was Chopper Command. And oh, I don't remember that. Chopper Command was one of the first games that came out by Activision. I'm going to just throw out, I'll look this up or chat room, you can. I'm going to throw out 1982 for this game. But Chopper it, Command? Chopper Command. But it was so different from all of the other games that were out. And it was one of the first games and it was so much better than anything else. And if you want to imagine Chopper Command as being like, you remember Defender, right? Mm-hmm. It was like Defender. Defender, actually, Stargate was my go-to. Oh, Stargate nice. and Robotron were my go-to cabinet games. Robotron was amazing. Well, this was like Defender, but it was oh, so right, I much see. better than, than Defender on Atari. It was night and day better. It was this great game, and Activision came out with it, and Activision was like, Activision's doing stuff that you just can't do on an Atari 2600, mm-hmm. but they were doing it, and then they came out with Pitfall, and that was even more amazing. And those those games to me, and then eventually Yars or or these games that like still when I play them today, 
they're they're fun and and there's something special about them. They capture what's fun about gaming. And look look at the games that are selling like crazy on the iPhone. They're games that remind me of these things, desert golfing and whatever right. else, you know? These scrolling kind of games. Yeah. Yeah, and like the I'm looking at just looking at Chopper Command, like the shapes like read as what they are. Yes. Like you can make a truck look like a truck on an Atari. <laughs> yes. And you can make a helicopter look like a helicopter. And so you're like a big helicopter and then you've got to shoot the, the mutants are, or the, uh, what are those guys called before they become mutants? The guys who drop down. Oh, the dropping down guys. Yeah. Those are like planes coming at you? Yeah. You, you get, shoot you, planes? You're shooting yeah. planes. You're shooting uh, the other helicopters that are flying around you. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's just kind of a, um, kind of a, just a fun riding around shooting things. Pitfall. Were you very good at Pitfall? I don't think I was that good at any of them, but I was very ardent about playing it. Yeah. It's just, you know, there are certain games where, like, you know, and again, I don't want this to be the obvious guys in their 40s podcast, but there were certain kinds of games, especially based on franchises, E.T. probably being the most famous example, but I could think of three um, based on franchises, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Superman. Uh, with three. Superman, oh my gosh. Remember, was in the phone booth? <laughs> so bad. I haven't thought of that game forever. That's <sighs> not very good. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but like these kinds of adventure games were, you know, obviously kind of based on some other sort of game, but like here's a branded character and they usually weren't that fun, but Yars Revenge was, I don't know, it was one of those games, I'm trying to remember exactly how, how the gameplay worked, but I remember feeling it was like it was, I don't know, I think they, they just got the balance right. I don't know, I haven't played these things in so long, I feel. And I used to have a MAME set up on my Mac in the, what, early 2000s or whatever MAME got popular. Mm-hmm. But I could never, because Robotron, Robotron was always my jam. And like, you really need two spinny things for, Ro- or not spinny, two um, joysticks <laughs> for Robotron. You can't do that. I mean, doing that with, you know, the keys on your computer, it feels like you're doing it in VI, like it's not as fun. May I read something? They could do a VI plugin for Robotron. I bet people would play that. <laughs> Can I read something to you? Mm-hmm. The player takes control of the DC Comics character Superman who must repair the bridge destroyed by Lex Luthor, capture Luthor and his criminal underlings, enter a phone booth to turn back into Clark Kent, then return to the Daily Planet in the shortest amount of time. To slow Superman's progress, Kryptonite has been released by Luthor. If hit by Kryptonite, Superman loses his abilities to capture criminals and fly. To regain them, he must find and kiss Lois Lane. Dear me. That is the summary of the gameplay of Superman for the Atari. I, I, Dan, I think that's non-canonical. <laughs> it may be. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. So strange. I'm looking at the screenshots of this. It's so bad. So he just has to wander around without his powers looking for Lois Lane? Yeah. Why would, why would kissing her give him his powers I don't know, back? but I'm watching a video of this, which I'll put into the show notes. Dan, in as much as you can say, in the new year, where would people find show notes for episode... 203 of your back to work program it's at five by five dot tv slash b as in brothers two is in the number w as in women slash two zero three how did we you know and you look at this stuff and you're like how was this even that fun how is it even fun oh it was fun it was fun you, you had to make it fun yeah you know because again it's not like marvel unlimited where you just go like mm, i'll go read a page of this you know, you got like with, with these, you had to kind of come in. And trading was a pretty common thing, I think. What did Yars Revenge cost? Like to buy it new? It was pretty late. Because I remember the ads for that being on constantly on like TBS, maybe on the Turner station in um, whenever it came out, like probably what, 1983, something like that? 
Uh, 1982, yeah, 1982. That was by, yes, that's what it says here. It was created by Howard Scott Warshaw. It's Atari's best-selling original title for the 2600, but it was outsold by the licensed game Pac-Man. Wow, that was an Atari game. I did not know that. I thought it was an Activision game. So did I. Activision was like the Pixar of uh, of, uh, 2600 games. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I'm kind of envious. We were at somebody's house and they've got a Wii U. And I guess I, you know, I don't follow video games. And so we've got a Wii that we got in uh, 1968. And uh, we still play it sometimes. We play the bowling. Yeah. We play the tennis. You know, we tried the ping pong, didn't like the ping pong. So we mostly just, we bowl. We play baseball. And, um, but then I saw a Wii U and it's like, wow, that's pretty wild. I can see the appeal. What do you guys have for a game console there? You got a Wii U? Uh, at home, no. We do have a Wii, a regular Wii, a black one, uh, but it hardly ever used. It's all, it's all, all about the iPad, as they say in this song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Dan, uh, did you want to tell me about something that you like? I'll tell you about a little company, a startup company called Audible. Audible is the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment, information, educational programming, you name it. If you can listen to it and words are involved, they're probably going to have it there. They've got over 150,000 titles to choose from. They've got fiction, they've got nonfiction, bestsellers in pretty much every category that exists and uh, tons of content that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, You really owe it to yourself to go and check this out. Uh, I'll tell you how it works. You get an app for your iPhone, your iPad, or your, uh, your Android, even your Windows phone. And you download this app, it installs, and guess what? All of these books that you download, they're yours. They're actually yours to keep. You're not streaming them like you would with so many apps that are out there. These are yours. They download to your device. They can download to your computer. Whatever it is that you want, they're, they're, they'll work, and you listen to them wherever you are with or without an internet connection. It's, uh, it's great. Anytime, and they have this really cool thing. I read on, on a Kindle uh, but if you have the Kindle app for your iPhone or your Android or a Kindle Fire, they have this thing called WhisperSync for voice. So that if you're reading the book, like the, the actual book itself, you're reading it on your Kindle or, or in the Kindle app, it'll keep track of where you are. And so like when you get in your car and you start playing this, it'll pick, pick up where you stopped when you were reading. I mean, they've thought of everything, uh, you know, 30-second rewind, the, uh, the chapter navigation stuff. They've got something called button-free mode. So, so many great features, 150,000 titles. And if you use this URL that I will uh, tell you in a moment, you're going to get a 30-day free trial and you will get a free book. But what I mean by free book is even if you don't extend the trial, you don't continue with the service, like you get the book and you get to keep it and, uh, and it's always yours. So that's pretty cool. Uh, here's the URL. It's audiblepodcast.com slash Back to work, spelled out. So that URL again, audiblepodcast.com slash back to work. Go to that URL, check it out. It'll be in the show notes also. And uh, get your free book. And uh, this is great. And so a lot of the time, you know, I'll, uh, when, we, when we do these spots, I'll recommend one. Um, my, my, my kid, Cash, the older one, seven, he's super into the, the Lemony Snicket, uh, a series of unfortunate events books. I think we're on book eight now. And, wow. uh, you know, I know that like, this is the kind of thing we're super into this. They have these books on tape or, or listen to me on tape. What happened? What happened? What has happened to me? But I say uh, the same thing. Yeah. So books on tape, go get a book on tape, download it on tape from the internet. Uh, but the, so Tim Curry reads these. 
So if you go and get them from Audible, like Tim Curry is reading these and it's perfect. He's so good at this. So anyway, that's my personal recommendation for Audible. Uh, you can go there, audiblepodcast.com slash back to work. Thank you very much to Audible for supporting 5 by 5 and uh, Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Dan Benjamin. Audible. Did you get a big, did you get a big drop there? A little drop. Mm-hmm. It was fixed. Huh? But I'm 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 posting a picture of Yars Revenge into the into the show notes for for today. It's one I think you'll excellent, like. Excellent, excellent. Boy, those uh, those the covers for those cartridges were so great. They're good. They're you know they're were works of art. They're nothing like the game. <laughs> right. Remember when Panic did that? Where they commissioned like covers based on their applications. I do remember that. That is so smart. So cool. So cool. Well, listen, we have, um, what do we got here? We do have we a got, topic. Uh, we, do, we have kind of a topic. We have a, an idea for a topic. Um, do you want to talk about the topic? Yeah, let's talk about the topic, I think. This is a good yeah. jumping in point. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's not an, an obvious uh, topic, but it's something that happened uh, late over the weekend with um, Marco. Mm-hmm. Marco Arment. Mark- yeah. And he had, I don't know, he had kind of a funny thing happen. Do, do you want to describe it? Well, okay, so or he... shall I take a try? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. do my best. He, uh, he posted a, uh, what was originally meant to just be, I think he was going to just link to another article. And then uh, instead, of, instead of just linking to the other article, he wrote a very short little piece about it where... Yeah, the title of the piece is Apple has lost the functional high ground. And we're not going to be dissect, I don't think, uh, dissecting no, no, the, no, no. the article or talking about as much about um, the significance of what he said is the fact that, that he said it because not long after that, he published another post that said, I regret having published this. And uh, it's, I mean, the topic is kind of interesting to those of us who pay attention to Apple and, and what Apple does. And we've shared some of these similar sentiments recently i guess the last couple weeks oh my gosh it's it's we've i i went and i posted a link to something where we talked about something similar not very many episodes ago but you know you and i have been i guess me in particular have been ranting a little bit about you know frustrations with as a user not as a developer Mm -hmm. um but just frustrations with if you like the maybe the, the quality of software and services from from apple Maybe on a tertiary level, maybe kind of a somewhat, I feel like we both have had, have expressed a somewhat diminishing interest in, you know, the latest and greatest hardware. Like, it's not like we're going to run out and buy an iWatch. It's not like we're going to run out and buy an iPhone 6. And isn't that interesting? Like, why, why is that? But in particular, I think we've both been kind of frustrated with what feels like hard, sometimes hard to pin down. I'll speak for myself and you can jump in. But, but just to get to what Marco said here, like, you know, for me, like I've been pretty frustrated really for maybe two years, um, maybe longer. And it's, it's, it's become fashionable to say, well, you know, there's problems at Apple, but no, nah, something's really different um, in the last few years yeah. where there's a lot of stuff where, um, like when I used to do, um, not IT, but when I was the Apple guy at, my, at the office I worked at, there would be, it would, you know, it was always so hard to track down like a crash, you know, exactly what caused it. And thankfully, eventually we got stuff like Conflict Catcher that made that easier. But it was still extremely difficult. You know something didn't work or you suspect something didn't work. Mm-hmm. But it's never been super easy to figure out why it didn't work. The frustration I've had for a while is intermittent, sometimes consistent, but frequently like intermittent non-working of stuff. 
that used to seem pretty dependable. Yeah. Whether that's things like syncing, whether that's things like uh, Apple TV, um, you know, being able to work in a in a quick and dependable way, whether that's the stability of the software on you know iOS, uh, whatever it is. But I mean, I think the thing that it's one thing for stuff not to work, and then you go, oh, that's a bug that I understand. The thing that's driven me most crazy, I think, though, has been that it's stuff doesn't seem to be working well. And it's hard to figure out why it's not working. And consequently, it's very difficult to figure out what to do to fix it. Right. Without just getting into the kind of sort of like we did earlier in this call when we had Skype problems and I just started quitting apps to see if that helped. Right. Where like you you get end up getting into this really strange sort of ritualistic behavior, really almost superstitious cargo cult behavior. Yeah. So that's what, do you want to add anything to that? That's, that's what I was frustrated about. Well, there's that. And then there's, a, in, in conjunction with that, you have Apple announcing, we have 518 brand new features and this thing that connects your phone to your watch to your computer so that you never miss a message and you can make a call on your phone and have it ring over here and continue the conversation this way and this continuity between, uh, you know what? Those are really cool features that I never asked for. I just want my computer to work as well as it used to five years ago. The same computer or the newer version of the computer, you know. And mm-hmm. we and, and one of the things that I think Marco was pointing out in his article was that the hardware, and we've said the same thing, the hardware is excellent. We love our computers and devices and phones. It's the software that's not working. And it seems like this focus on we're going to release a new app, a new version of the software every year. And we're going to have to add X number of new features to it when the existing features aren't really exactly where they need to be. They're not really working the way that we would right. like. The so- I would more. say software and, and the services yeah. because, um, and I, I don't know exactly how those are precisely related, um, you know, on a technical level, but, you know, things, things again, like sync stuff and mm-hmm. cloud stuff. I only, I only mentioned that. I don't want to, I'm not, I didn't want to talk, talk about this so much because of what, what what Marco said, but kind of how it was taken. But yes. I do want to just I want to underscore in Marco's support that like I I read this and I was like yeah like I feel like I've gotten yelled at for three years by Apple fans mm-hmm. <laughs> for saying the same thing. But I think he's he's making a very a very good point and then a point uh, lots of people amplified and now I guess I am talking about it. A lot of other people amplify, which is this is not just a developer problem. Obviously, this is a problem where you know users are finding this very confusing and vexing. And for the first time in about as long, let's, let's put it this way: for the first time since we could convince people to use Apple stuff, like you know, I probably I'm guessing you were like this for a long time. I wouldn't recommend Apple stuff because it was costly, um, it was unusual, and didn't work like Windows. Mm-hmm. But there there came a point by the mid 2000s where I would just say to people, "Hey, look, you know, you should just get Apple stuff. It's it's ready. It's it, it's it's good." And it's it's really it's funny because like for a long time it really felt so airtight or nearly airtight. And it's I think part of the frustration for us is that after that great golden period. And all those great new devices, it's the first time since then that now people are saying, like, anecdotally, that, hey, it's, you know, now you're saying to your relatives, well, maybe don't upgrade to the new OS until yeah. you upgrade these things. And it's, I don't know, it's the, the, the basic problem with all of this, though, is it's very hard to pin down to one thing. You can find a counterexample of almost everything, but what almost all of my honest Apple friends will admit is that there's a little bit of fear about like execution right now. And I, I just want to say, on Marco's behalf, I'd like to say he's not the first person to say this. He's not. And it's, you know, the interesting part to me isn't so much that he went out and, and said this. That's interesting in and of itself. 
but the fact that it was then picked up by so many news organizations and like you had, I think it was CNBC or... Yeah, this is this is where, where the story takes the turn, yeah. is that in Marco's own estimation, I, I, at one point he said it maybe might have said it was going to start as a tweet and then it was going to maybe be just a link right. on his site. Yep. And then he ended up writing this, you know, very, pretty short thing um, Sunday night, like before bed, posted it, you know, went to bed. Yeah. And even Sunday night, West Coast time, it got picked up in a lot of places. I saw mm-hmm. a lot of people linking to it and a lot of people saying, yes, I agree. Actually, a lot of people saying, wow, yes, I really agree with this. And some large blogs linking to it. But I guess Monday's when it got particularly crazy, right? That's, that's right. And it got picked up and it got it traded around. And the fact is, it's not that anything that he said was super inflammatory or even that uncommon to hear in the sort of tech community that we're in. He said it well. He didn't pull punches. He was clear, concise, and and summarized, I think, a lot of what we've all been sort of thinking and talking about. But the fact is who he is. Um, You know, I I heard a lot of people when I watched the news things, you know, the the first thing they say is uh, they usually pronounce his name wrong, but they say that, you know, they mention the fact that he's like CTO or ex-CTO of of Tumblr. Like, that's a big deal. Tumblr's kind of a big deal. Well, because now the co-founder of Tumblr is saying Apple is doomed, according to them. right. And and it just it, it it's it's I think what was interesting is to hear later his not retraction of it because he knows better than to pull a post anymore. No one lets anyone pull a post anymore. Uh, but he had a subsequent post where he's like, you know, I didn't mean it like this, and it sucks that you know I can't say something that I'm sort of thinking about without drawing all of this kind of attention to myself. If if somebody else had posted this, who maybe wasn't a Tumblr co-founder, it people would have still, I think, read it and talked about it, but it wouldn't have blown up the way that it blew up. I know I could post something like this and nobody would care. You know what I mean? People post things like this all the time. And and even Marco posts stuff like this all the time. But there's there's so many interesting and, you know, bummer angles to this that, you know, as he said in his follow-up post yesterday, like he regrets having published it because... You know, on the one hand, you worry like, oh my gosh, this got a hundred or a thousand times more coverage than I could have expected. Right. Like everybody writes stuff for a blog, hoping people will read it on a certain, maybe even cynical level. We all write and publish things, hoping lots of people, there'll be traffic that lots of people will see mm-hmm. it and it'll become people, something people talk about. That's, you know, let's be honest, that's something we all do. But, you know, I guess this is where it gets interesting though, is, in, is what you're describing, which is on the one hand, like, you know, if you're uh, a if you're familiar with Marco and what he has to say about things, you would read this and see this as sitting comfortably in the Marco oeuvre. He said much more controversial things about coffee, I guess, than he had than he did here. He wasn't like you know saying that <laughs> we need to you know burn down Apple and I give up. But what a couple funny things happened, like you said, one of them, and this is to me why that I mentioned on Twitter. We want to talk about like what you say versus what people hear. Is that you know he published this on a Sunday night, not thinking too much about it. I mean, not I don't I don't want to put it that way, but you know what I mean. Not, not thinking that this was going to be this big dust up, and then waking up to this kind of different world on Monday with what he claims now is this. He has a pretty popular site, and I, I guess this is by a long shot, the, the most trafficked thing he's ever written. Ever. But then you also get things where people are going to take 
things like who Marco is, combine that with a quoting of what he said or not quote what he said from it, just give the tone of it, and then turn that into the basis for some kind of a thing where you can have three people talk about it on a cable news show or whatever. Right. And I don't know, I just, I, 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 I just, first I want to say I feel really bad for Marco because I've had things like that happen, probably not on this scale, but certainly I've had things like this happen where, you know, I mean, for myself, I'm not saying this for Marco, but for myself, if I had any idea that that was the one thing this quarter that would have been the most read or heard thing I'd ever done, oh my God, I would have done it so differently or I would have not done it at all. Right. Because the thing is, if something gets popular um, and gets uncommonly orders of magnitude more popular, there's almost never anything good that comes of it, honestly. Because by that point now, it is getting so far. And so what all I wanted to say was, like in the case of this, if you're familiar with Marco and you listen to shows, you know Marco, Marco, Marco has very strong and sometimes very strongly stated opinions about things. And that's kind of one reason we like him is that he does that. But if you're not familiar with him, you could read this and think, and this is not his fault, mm-hmm. but you know, people could read this and think that, oh, this is the end of the, end of the rope yep. for this guy yeah. who's this highly respected technology guy. And it's like, man, we all complain about this stuff all the time, but... It's like I said, I, I consider myself the ultimate Apple, you know, existential investor. I have no intention of changing or going anywhere. But I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing for us to maybe talk a little bit about is there's so many angles about this that make it an interesting, I don't know, that make it an interesting, almost cautionary tale. Very, much, on the a one ca- hand, very much a cautionary tale. Not, not, that I, not that I would necessarily say don't publish it, but I mean, who knows? If you, you can't, I mean... On the one hand, like Jason Snell said yesterday on um, Upgrade, you know, he's been doing this, you know, through Mac user and Mac world for something like 20 years. So mm-hmm. he's used to having to think about how everything might be taken. But it's so crummy to get to where you have to like micromanage every thought you've got to make sure that you're accounting for every conceivable troll or misunderstanding, you know? And I guess one reason I think it's interesting is because of the phenomenon of things like Twitter, where I I am happy to see that people are more and more coming around to the idea that one reason we get so wound up about stuff via things like Twitter is how much we take things out of their original context. Mm -hmm. Whether that was how they were intended, what came before and after, what kind of day that person was having, whatever. How you can take something out of context and make it into almost anything you choose to. And then this game of telephone starts where it gets passed around and starts meaning all these different things to different people to where two days after he posts it, what it means to us is <laughs> not even just what he said, but like how it all got taken and what people heard, chose to hear or kind of needed to hear out of right, it. Right, 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 right. So, so part of it is what he intended. The second part is what he wrote. And the third part is what different people interpreted from those, you know, the, the second thing. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, when you when you have... When you have a voice, people will listen. And that's almost part of that cautionary tale is like if you if you say something uh, that you don't necessarily intend to mean a certain way, uh, you're just sort of musing and brainstorming. What he's kind of learned from this and what he said in his subsequent post also is like he can't – he feels like he has to really, really think about everything uh, that that he posts everything that he says everything that uh, you know he feels very guilty about it. 
Well, and, and a cynical person, a cynical person um, would dive bomb into that and say, well, of course he should think about everything he says. Mm. You know, he's Marco Arman and he's a publisher. And, and like, that, but I think we're talking about think about that in a more nuanced way than I'm just going to splatter a bunch of stuff on the screen and post it. That's, I, I think Marco is, is a pretty careful thinker. The think about a part that I find um, muting or find uh, chilling is this whole thing where you have to start thinking about like, you know, as somebody who speaks extemporaneously a lot, I've gotten used to the idea that, of people correcting me on things uh, or where I misspoke because I, I am I am speaking extemporaneously. Mm. It's like, and, and certainly there's things I've I've taken all I've taken hours, days, weeks to write and still had stuff wrong about it. And you you know it's understandable why people would want to want to correct that. But it's a it's such a terrible feeling for people to take something really out of its normal context. And a normal context for this would be if you follow people like Marco, and I'm thinking now of a whole range of people I follow on Twitter who are developers, like, uh, you know, Agile Tortoise. I follow, you know, um, Chalk. Like, a lot of developers. A lot of people, and all, all day long, not in an annoying way, but all day long, it's become apparent over the last few months that there's a lot of frustrating things about being an Apple developer. But it's expressed in these little dribs and drabs. Where if you if you were familiar with this community, you'd know that this is something a lot of people have been thinking for a very long time. It's just that if you haven't followed those dribs and drabs, this sounds like he's Martin Luther, like nailing this to the door of the church. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I feel like there's, the, on the one hand, you should be, there should be some kind of leeway. There should be, but, you know, when you think about a celebrity, when you think about a famous person, which he also addresses in in this. He says, you know, that that a lot of the time, uh, if you're famous and you come out and you say something, whatever that thing is, there, there's going to be attention about it. You know, he's oh, here's where here's where he says it. Um, he says, uh, most people, myself included, aren't accustomed to that level of scrutiny. Those who are usually have PR training, editors and handlers to protect them from publishing flippant blog posts before they go to bed. Um, he also says, I now need to write everything with the fear that any hastily written article might end up on TV with the most extreme word in the article singled out with my name on it forever. I'll keep writing. I can't stay away, but academically, it's not worth the risk. Right. I'm, I'm actually, the, the thing that I'm surprised about is that he's, you know, he's only now figuring this out. He's been a prominent, outspoken person for a long time. And, you know, anytime you say anything on the internet or on a podcast or anywhere, A, it's around forever. Like, it's always going to be there. The article that he linked to that the guy pulled down after Marco linked to it is still on uh, the Internet Archive on the Wayback mm-hmm. Machine. Like, nothing is going to go away that you do or that you say. It's always going to be there. And, you know, if that doesn't make you think, you know, I've never cursed on the air since I started doing podcasts in 2006, I've never cursed. There's n- why? Am I afraid to curse? You've met me in in person. Of course, I'm not. But you're daring people to find it now. Yeah, go find it. But <laughs> but the reason why is I I would hope that all of the material that we do is listenable to by kids, not necessarily just my own kids. And I'd be. I, I'm not foolish enough to think that my kids will one day go back and I really want to hear what dad was saying in 2014. But, uh, you know, but I think that, 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 you know, having me on the air cursing about something 
That's not the message that I want to send. I want to send out a thing that says, you know what? Kids can always listen to this because I would have loved the shows that I'm making now. I would have loved to listen to these when I was 11 or 15, you know? And if my my parents had walked by the door while I was sitting there listening to something like this on the, on the hi-fi, then you know what? They would have said, you're not listening to that crap anymore, you know? And they would have flipped right. a light switch that would turn off my computer. And it, it you know... They did that to me once when I was playing Bard's Tale. Lost everything. I don't want to go there. But, Mm. you know, the whole point is, like, I want this content to be accessible and I want to be proud of it, right? Like, you want to make something and and feel proud of it years later. Even if you look back on it, like, oh, my God, listen to the way I sounded or, oh, I couldn't write at all back then. Whatever it is, like, you still want to – what I was learning, I was trying, I was experimenting and exploring. I don't expect other people to have that kind of rule and that's sort of an arbitrary example right now. But, like, everything that you write – he knows what traffic goes to his website. So, you know, he just wasn't expecting to get it picked up. I, I think you, anyone who writes anything should expect it to get picked up. I mean, you know what? Like that, that can happen. And I think this is a great tale to show that what somebody who, who is well known for building big software that millions of people use, you've got to be careful. And unfortunately, that in and of itself, it almost feels like a kind of censorship. It's self-censorship. Now... I can't just go and say anything that I want to say because if I if I say it on my blog, then everyone will, of course, associate it with me and attach it to me and then it will be around forever and it could wind up on the news after I go to bed. If I release it on some unknown uh, blog, my own version of the Bachman books, then no one will hear it. But that's not what I want either. I want people to hear it. I want to be able to say these things that are important to me that I want to say to my right. audience, but I can't because if, if somebody interprets it wrong, then boom, now it's this quote with my name on it forever. Mm-hmm. I, I think what you're describing is um, really laudable, you know, if if you can pull it off. But uh, I mean, a couple things. Uh, one is that you you have there are episodes of After Dark things that you probably would not want to be the most remembered thing you've ever done. For sure, not memorable. But, which is not to say you should regret it or anything. I'm not right. trying to throw it in your face. But all I'm trying to say is that what I'm trying to get at. Well, two things. First of all, like. Um, it is just that it's, um, and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm saying blogs aren't a thing because they are a thing. I've done blog things for a long time, but I think one thing that separates blogs historically from it used to be it was a very distinct thing from like a, a journalistic like a news piece is you could have a, a site where you had a certain tone that your readers got used to. And I'll just give you some examples of yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, there have always there have been blogs that are very close to journalism for a very long time. But there have also the, the, the kinds of blogs that always appealed to me was some combination of curation, um, editorializing, speculating, and I guess just something mushy about not mushy, but something that indicates this isn't a finished thing yet. Mm. Not only the idea I'm talking about is not a finished thing. And this post was good enough to put up. Not I'm, again, I, I'm not trying to say it's it's a lack of quality, but what I am trying to say is like if we all wrote and spoke 
like it was a news story, mm-hmm. this would be a, these would be different media altogether. So like, all I'm saying is like, if you go to, I mean, n- none of us would ever want to be most evaluated by the thing that we're least proud of. Yeah. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But, but on the other hand, like, I think if you get used to a certain person, like Howard Stern, like how many people have tried to explain Howard Stern to me? And I, I think I kind of get Howard Stern now. Mm-hmm. I still don't listen to Howard Stern, but it has to be really explained slowly to me because he sounds like an awful person. But people like you, people like Rob Corgi, these people who are like really like, admiring and influenced by him, really intelligent people can describe, no, no. See, if you listen to Howard Stern a lot, there's a lot more levels to it. And so the thing is now, I'm that audience that's reading Marco's article now. I'm that audience when it comes to Howard Stern, just as an example. Right. Because I just see this guy and go, ew, yuck. Right. Because I don't know the nuance. And when I see a three-second clip from his show, I don't know how to take that in context with everything else that's come over 20, 30 years, right. however long it's been. So, I mean, I guess part of it is like, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, you want to be accurate. You want to be fair. You want to be complete. You want to be reasoned. And you want to say something that will hopefully make as much sense in five years as it does today. But part of the beauty of the medium whether it's podcasts or blogs, to me, is it offers an opportunity to think out loud a little bit. And even when we think out loud, we try to say the truest thing we can, but there's no way we can stand by that as being like a, you know, a a perfect and immutable eternal fact that we would want scrutinized by the entire world. Yeah. And so that that's to me where we get to the second part, which is that like, even if you do, and I'll give you an example here, look at cereal, right? Cereal, um, which is by mutual acclaim, apparently, the most popular podcast that will ever exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the point of it is that that if that show had been something bare, barely distributed on second tier public radio over however many weeks that was, seven, 10 weeks, whatever mm-hmm. it was, I mean, I think it would have been an okay popular show and people would have listened to it and gone, this is really interesting. But the thing is, I I don't think they could have imagined how popular that show would become to where people who didn't know what a podcast was were seeking it out and where people were talking. I mean, when is the last time you heard that many people that are like normal civilians talking about what what's going to happen on the next episode yeah, of a podcast? never. So on the one hand, you know, they spent a year putting that together. Like Sarah Koenig and her team spent, I think, something like a year. So they knew what was going to happen in that arc mostly with, with stuff that changed. But the point is, could you, I mean, and it's so this American Life team, which has already had their butt handed to them at least once before for having problems, you know, with the Mike Daisy story. But I mean, you know, they have a staff of people. They have researchers. They are going to take every possible consideration to make that show as fair and accurate as they can. But they still have to tell a story, right? But now look at the backlash with people like going out and interviewing people who are interviewed by them. Do you think that that show would be so carefully scrutinized if, if it had gotten, hadn't gotten so popular? Yeah, right. I don't know if this is a good example, but all I guess what I'm trying to say is that you're correct uh, in saying that we should always do our, our best to say something that, that will stand the test of time and not be embarrassing and will be as true as it could be for the time. But on the other hand, you never know when something's going to become a phenomenon that, that nobody could have accounted for. I mean, and, and again, like you know, the obvious, I'm going to shut up after this, but the other example is like, look at things like meme photos. Look at a photo of somebody trying to do the ice bucket challenge and dropping it on their head right. and how that, like they never, that, that's not how they wanted to get famous. But that's how it got made. And it's, I guess the, 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 it's not even a lesson. It's just a truism is that, you know, we all want to get our, our hand really close to that big toothy mouth. But like once your hand is in there, like it's going to get chewed up. It's, 
stuff will happen with what you said or did or how you looked that is so out of your control. That was a very hard adjustment for me back in the day. Because I used to feel the need to respond to everybody who got what I said wrong. And it was at one point, it was at a scale where I kind of could do that, not very efficiently. But it's there's something very difficult about suddenly realizing that this thing isn't, not it's, it's not only what you said, if they're getting it wrong, it's not even like what you meant to say, because clearly they're going to get that wrong. But it's almost like they take a little part of your life away when, when something gets that big, you know? And it's such an unintended consequence. Yeah, it's, it's weird. The, it's the not intending thing. You know, there's one thing if you're like, hmm, I'm the CEO of this very big company and I'm going to make this statement and everyone's going to react like you expect that. But there's something about the blog or the podcast that feels personal. It feels like it's your little thing and you can say what you want and it's like your thoughts. And It's almost like you're talking to yourself in some ways. Totally. Totally. I mean, you're absolutely it, right. People are going to roll their eyes at that, but that's absolutely true. I mean, there can be weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks go by that nobody ever quotes anything I say. And then somebody quotes one thing I say and I go, wow, <laughs> I said that. Like, geez. <laughs> right. I, what was I thinking? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think for people who it's easy to forget that. And it's also, you know, like I bet, I bet if you had said to Marco, Hey, you know, why don't you write this piece for, uh, I don't know, uh, recode. Oh, okay. I'll write a piece for recode th- talking about Apple and the current state of Apple. It would not have been anything like what he wrote for his personal private blog that just happens to have 2 million people reading it that day. You know, mm-hmm. it, you have right. the, the, the intention that you're putting out or a post for medium, you know, Matt Howie wrote that great piece about what's broken in podcasting. He wrote that piece very much saying, I'm writing this on medium. I'm going to share the challenges of, you know, we, we want pod, we want to advance podcasting. Here's some ideas of what's wrong that we can fix that we can make better. He wrote that on and it with the intention of publishing it on medium.com as opposed to a personal blog or on even Metafilter as a post or whatever or Reddit thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He he knew he knew the audience. And I think that there's this kind of it's the same thing where people, you know, when they're driving in their car, they feel like they're in their own little world, they're in their own little sphere. And they'll do silly things like air guitar at the stoplight or whatever it is, because they forget that there's other people two feet away from them who are in their own separate little pod, but they can look and see what you're doing in your pod. You know, it feels yeah. like you're private and alone, but you're completely exposed to the world when you're in your car. Everyone can see you if there's other people walking or on the road or on their bike or whatever. Uh, and I feel like, po- uh, not podcasts, I feel like blogs, uh, podcast to some degree, I suppose. But blogs are very much like that as well in that you think that it's just you and your car, but really you're in the middle of a superhighway that everyone can uh, can see you and, and see what you're doing. And it's very easy to go from a private little post about a thing I thought on Sunday night to, in you know, in extreme cases, something that's like picked up on the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you tell did you want to tell me about something that you like? I would love to tell you about a company called Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is one of these companies that Merlin and I have talked about over the years that when, when we started out in this business, made our careers in this business, building websites and things like that for people, uh, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do magic on the web, but Squarespace, they do magic. And here's what I'm talking about. If you want to make a website, don't, and this is like my sincere advice. Don't start by saying, oh, I'm going to go code this thing myself. I'm going to go download some software and install it and customize it on a server and tie it into database. 
No, don't, don't do that kind of thing. Start here. Start with Squarespace. Start at eight bucks a month. You can pick from one of their amazing, beautifully designed templates that they're responsive, they're adaptive, they look good on your phones, on your tablets, on your computers. It doesn't matter where you look at these things. They look beautiful and you can control the content and the way that they work by clicking and dragging and dropping. You can completely customize the way that your site looks so that even if you're picking a template that 500 other sites have, you can customize it and make it yours and no two sites are going to look the same. They just came out with a version of Squarespace, Squarespace 7, that has even more. They've designed the interface mm-hmm. so that it just, it's seamless. I know you've been, uh, you've been messing with this probably a little bit before it came out, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where, like, for somebody who's used it a lot, I almost like, I don't want to use this too much because I could really get super involved with it. For, for people who've never used it, put them in front of this, and it's not going to be like having to learn software. It's yeah. just, it's so easy, and it is actually so fun, which is really rare. It is fun. It's fun to do. It's fun to try it out. And one of the things that I love doing is you can pick one of these templates, and you can start using it and customizing it and seeing all your content in there without like affecting your your real site. It's like in preview mode, which is so great because everybody wants to update their stuff and make it look different. Mm-hmm. You want to, you can do it without breaking anything. You used to have to think about that stuff as such different steps. Like it used to be that, you know, for me, I had a little bit, uh, I was a little bit of an amateur information architect. So I'd want to think about like how things would be laid out on the page. And back in the days before CSS ruled the world, you would have to think about like what kind of table would you want to put there? And if that had three columns, that's the kind of thing that would affect what kind of content you made. Mm -hmm. And everything's just a block in Squarespace. I want a block of stuff here. I want a block of stuff there. I want that to be this wide here and this wide there. And you just drag it and it's done and it's up and it's posted. It's, it's, It's a completely holistic process. It really is. So anyway, listen, if you want to get in on this, which I think you should, uh, they have a special URL. If you go there, you can start. You don't need a credit card. You can try this thing out and see if you like it. You can import uh, the code, the, the, all the content from your, from your other blog. If you use one of the bigger platforms, it'll import it for you. But the main thing is you're going to get 10% off your, your first purchase over at Squarespace. And doing that, just using this URL, going there and, and starting out uh, will we'll support this show. Uh, the URL that you're going to want to use is squarespace.com slash back to work. Uh, the code that will get you the 10% is it's your show. No apostrophe, just it's your show. That'll be in the show notes too. But, uh, but go check it out, squarespace.com slash back to work and uh, get 10% off and, and, and build a really amazing site. E-commerce built in too, I got to add that. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much to Squarespace for uh, making this show, Back to Work with Merlin Man, a possibility. Pock, pock. I got one more angle on this yeah. that I'm turning over in my head. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's such a strange thing. Uh, um, I'm trying to, to not, not sound like a fancy lad when I say this, but, um, but when... I think that the, the process of how we publish the stuff that becomes a podcast or write the stuff that becomes a, a blog post or an article or, or whatever, I, I, it's, it, there's this really fundamental disconnect um, between a lot of the time between the manufacturer and the consumer. And it comes down to this, this one thing. Um, oh... I see why they did that. Mm. Okay, so 
when we sit around and we read tweets by Kanye West or or whatever an Iggy Azalea is, when we follow them, like we ascribe so much meaning and artifice and intentionality, conniving, planning. And I think when you're looking at other people, I guess is what I'm saying, I feel like it's not unusual at all to constantly be trying to figure out what they thought they were going to accomplish with that. And I'm going to toss out a few that have been, you know, that I, tell me if these sound familiar. Yeah. Um, oh, you, that's a subtweet to like get a dig at somebody to make them feel bad about this yes, thing. Yes, yes. That you, that's what you said that to be mean to this person. Um, you said this thing about Android because you hate Apple and you have a secret agenda to try and turn people away from Apple products. Um, it could be other things. Like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I feel like it's not unusual at all. And I see it a lot in, this is, I, sound like, I sound like a dick, but when, I feel like I see this a lot in people who consume a lot and don't make a lot, is they're constantly trying to ascribe why things happened. Why did that happen? What will, that's interesting timing for them to post that today. Okay. Now, first of all, can you, can you, uh, Get with me that that is something that a lot of people do. Yeah, so it's it's, it's sort it's, of like a passive aggressive kind of thing, especially the whole. I don't know. I don't know if that, it could be. It could be. But all I'm telling you is that I see in a lot of responses to things by other people and myself, I see a constant uh, mystery, mm. like guessing game mm-hmm. about why people are doing that and yeah. why it was timed that way and why that was such a short thing or why that was a long thing or why wasn't there an episode this week? Mm-hmm. And there's always, there's all of this. No, this I know. Case. No, I know exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I know exactly what you mean. Becomes, it becomes a kind of, it's the same reason people like cereal. Like they want to figure out what's really going on. And so people are always trying to figure out what's really going on. And, you know, we've joked about stuff like you can tell when Gruber's on vacation by what kind of links he's posting to the site or whether there's right. a typo. Right. And there's all these little ha-ha, oh, I caught you there things that people are always trying to do. The, the point I'm trying to make is, see if you get with me on this, is that it's not unusual at all for, I'm going to say, maybe even most people to observe the culture and try to read beyond the surface to what that person really means. Like, and, and, and in particular, what was your intentionality to this? Like, I bet you posted that because of this reason. And it's maybe you want us to know that reason, but you probably don't. Right? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's my thesis is that that is something a lot of people as consumers of culture draw. Um, now, my thought as a, an occasional creator of culture is... I could count on one hand the number of times I've ever done anything for a quote-unquote reason, (laughs) right? So, I mean, it's very rare. I mean, sure, it's happened, I guess, but here's what I'm saying. In this case, I, I think that any sane person could look at what Marco did and go, oh, man, right. that sucks. You know, oh, yeah, sure, probably there's things Marco could have done differently, but wow, that really sucks to see that taken the way it is. But no, that's not how it works. The way it works is everybody out there figures out what Marco's trying to figure out what Marco's real agenda is mm-hmm. and why he posted that. Right. Because really, there's what, what the most people like to believe there is a performative aspect to what anyone publishes, that they want you to do this thing as a result. I think, I think, or, or that either that, or there's this thing, there's this thing they're, uh, they're kind of working toward that you'll figure out before they do. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is on the one hand, I think that happens a lot. And on the other hand, speaking for myself, wow, you have no idea what you're talking about. 
I don't think there's that many people who make stuff regularly that have a secret agenda or are trying to get you to do anything. I don't think Marco posted that to get people to stop being developers. Right. No, it, it, it seemed to me, if anything, it seemed to me like he was posting it because he was like, it, almost like as a, as a, a guy who's like, I want this to be better. Can this be better? Can we do things better? Here's what I think is wrong. Do you guys feel the same way I feel? It was, I felt it more in a conversational way. Like, let's start, let's start thinking about this and talking about this. And, and hopefully this is something I've observed that hopefully will improve. I didn't see it as like an attack uh, at all. But I think everyone but, was looking for that. That's absolutely, yeah. and, and and then that becomes that becomes grist because now it's gone from being um, something where somebody thought something and talked about it to um, being about something. Now we're going to take this thing, and and this is, and I guess I'm trying to make a larger point, but you know, using Marco's unfortunate thing to kind of illustrate it is that now you can create a story out of this. Mm-hmm. Right. It was story. a story, right? It was a news story. Literally a story yeah. in the sense of of post being able to post a you know a, an empty puffy news piece, but it's also a story because now it's the beginning of a narrative. Ooh, this is a narrative. This is a story about this guy who used to love Apple and was a fawning Apple enthusiast, but now this is proof. This is Marco's way of telling us this is proof that now Apple is so bad that even, even idiots like Marco Arment don't like it anymore. Yeah. That's this story. Or here's this other story. Oh, this guy's a technology thought leader. He co-founded Tumblr. Oh, Apple must be doomed. Or whatever. Or on the other side, I'm sure there are myriad people who are going to want to use Marco as a punching bag because they can't believe he's saying bad stuff about Apple and any number of things in between, including lots of people who don't care. All I'm trying to say is like I, I want what I would like you as a listener and uh, someone uh, who enjoys the culture uh, on whatever level don't assume, I would just gently suggest, don't assume that there's an agenda. Like, stop assuming that, like, there is anything more to it than exactly what it is. And if you want to find out exactly what it is, learn to look at it in in context, you know? And that's, to me, that's the chilling effect in some ways, is how easily something that is completely sensible to every person who knows you, anybody who knows you, would look at what you did and go, yeah, that's kind of what that person does. And yeah. we like them. And yeah. they're not weird to being completely distorted into what this means about something else that's totally unrelated. Yeah. So does that make sense? No, it, it totally does to me. And I think is this, you know, for the regular person, the non-Marcos uh, out there in the world, you, you know, it's almost like there's an advantage there and that you can, you can say what you want to freely. You know, you always hear about, the, oh, the poor multimillionaire celebrity who, you know, they're, oh, they're always being accosted by paparazzi when they're just trying to, you know, go from their hotel to the restaurant and there's a million people full of these poor people. And you have this attitude of like, well, they deserve that. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to be in the spotlight. This is what comes with it. They had to know that going into it. But uh, you know, a lot of the time they probably didn't. They just loved acting or singing or whatever it is that they do. And they just wanted to do that. And now they became successful and they weren't essentially really prepared for it or ready for it. And why do the, why does it have to be okay that their privacy is being invaded? Uh, you know, that there's a helicopter circling over their wedding ceremony. Why is that okay just because they had a movie that was successful or an album that went platinum or multi-platinum? You know what I mean? Like it's, Mm-hmm. It, it, when, why is that okay? Why is it not okay for, for someone to just publish a blog post where they're thinking about something and, and, you know, like now, 
they have to censor themselves or they have to, they're, they're not allowed to just go and put on a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt and get coffee from Starbucks like you and I can because they're famous, you know, it's, right. it's, right, right. and if I know that you have experienced this cause I've seen it happen, uh, but you know, I've been at a, a place here and there at an event or something where, you know, somebody recognizes you and talks to you and like, it's a little, it's a little weird when you're like there, like I, I was at the zoo with my kids and like somebody came up to me, oh, you're, you're Dan Benjamin. I'm like, yeah, hi, how are you? And we, and we talked and it was cool. Cause like he had his kids with him. I had my kids with him. It was a totally cool kind of a thing, but like, imagine that times 50 million, right? <laughs> Where oh, yeah. you have fans everywhere or people who care so much about like what you know, what brand watch you're wearing or what sneakers you have on. And, and there's people like watching you and taking pictures of you. And it's not a dad with a couple kids at the zoo, like you with your kids at the zoo, but it's, it's now weird. And these people are like posting these pictures that they've taken of you and your children. And like this all, I know it's, we're, you know, we're talking about a geek who blogged about geeky things, but like this grows into that for some people. And now Tons of people are going to be watching and scrutinizing whatever Marco posts. And he made a funny... Maybe. He, well, he, you, he, you think that'll last? You think that'll continue? I don't know how long it will continue, I but... Think the life, I think the life cycle for these things is, short. is like a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, I think it goes by pretty fast. I think it's a summer day and then you go back to just being scrutinized by your friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, but... It, it, some, but some a, people have added his blog to their RSS feed in news organizations oh, sure, that sure, didn't sure. have it there before. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you're describing something that's, that's so basic and, um, you know, just this sense of otherness, you know, and it's uh, just a, a, a utter lack of sympathy or empathy for what, what any one given person is, is going through at a, at a given time or what they're deserving of. And I, I think I was talking about this with Roderick. It might have been with you, but... We're almost um, the same person. Yeah. But you know what? I, I forgive. Stop me if, if if you've heard this one before, as Morrissey would say. <laughs> yeah. But but you know, I, I feel like I feel like with with with, peop, with people in general, um, you know, when you meet people or you want to try to understand people, it's kind of like they get they get one thing. There's one as I like to call it the file card. You got a file card on somebody, and you go, oh, this is that person who does X in this way or mm -hmm. whatever. That's Screech or whatever. Right. You've got you've got a file card on somebody. And like there's that file card and that initial impression that you get about somebody. And there is but and that's generally kind of what it's going to stay unless something really really massive happens. Whether that's a TV show or you know more more commonly a person or a persona of a of a person. And you know what's funny is like you get there may be ways mostly that that can get worse in your view like oh She's the one who's really famous for that, like, not very good movie. And now here's a picture of her with a big butt. Mm -hmm. So now I don't like her. Or, you know, here he is telling a paparazzi to not photograph his daughter. What a jerk. And so now that file code gets updated with, like, now you're this irascible person. Mm -hmm. But you still really only get, like, one or two little axes for, for a given person. If you get too much information about somebody and it doesn't line up in exactly the same way, mm -hmm. the tendency will be to try and take a snow shovel and move all that information into an area that's, that's consistent because right. that's an easier story to tell. But what won't happen is you won't have that much chance to be a full actual person the way that an actual friend of yours would be. That's never going to happen because I think at a certain point, 
Too much information that you find contradictory or irreconcilable just makes the person seem weird. Yeah. Now they're just weird and they read as weird. Like if you have too many interests that don't line up in a John Hughes movie kind of way, like if you're not just a jock, if you're not just a, you know, um, uh, a nerd or whatever, then you seem like a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And but I mean, I really feel like that's what happens with people is they get one file card on people. And, you know, you joke about this with me, but there's, it's true with lots of people where you go, oh, that's that person who does this thing. Right. Or this is that person that did that thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh my God, God save you from ever having to be the person who did that one thing. Whether it's the Star Wars kid or whether it's the Ice Bucket Challenge loser or whatever it is, because now that's who you are and you don't really get another shot at it. And, but I mean, that's anyway, now I'm turning into George Clooney or something. <laughs> I wish, but like that's now, now you're, you've got your hand stuck in the machine and it's just getting, you know, ground around. And I think most of us, like we're so overwhelmed with all these different kinds of stories and scandals and news things and celebrity things that, you know, our only defense against it is to roll our eyes kind of tacitly blame the system for being silly, right. but kind of actively blame the celebrity or the, the person for being a dumbass. And then we forget about it again until it's a new story again. But there's an industry out there that causes all of that havoc or makes those deliberate, you know, misunderstandings. And here's the thing. If you've ever been in, and now I really sound like George Clooney, but like if you've ever been, let's just say this, if, if anybody's ever interviewed you, like for a new story. So for example, something like uh, interviewed you about a car accident you saw right. or interviewed you about anything. I'll bet you anybody out there who's had that happen, especially more than once, mm -hmm. I would be very surprised if there was not at least one fundamental error that you read when you read it in the paper. Right. There's always at least one major fact that they got completely wrong. Maybe not just misspelling your name or something, but until that's happened to you 20 times, it's hard to get how screwed up the system is. And, and how often people are working on deadline and playing a game of tel telephone and understanding just enough to be able to post it. So the irony is, you know, in this case, Marco gets taken to the cleaners because he's this or he's that by these people who didn't have the time or the inclination to really track down something more interesting about what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So now he's just a guy they can put up as this kind of thing. And isn't that ironic? Yeah, it's... And that's the whole thing about like journalistic integrity and all of that stuff that sometimes I, re I remember. And again, back to Marco, because he I was reading through the blog before the show. He, you know, I remember multiple times he said, oh, I was misquoted on that. Or they take the interesting part of the quote out of it. And uh, like any time that you're quoted on doing anything, I remember I was like 11 years old, maybe 10 years old. And I was interviewed for something in a newspaper in this little town that I lived in in Florida at the time. And it was like... I remember the interview questions. I remember they asked me these different things. It's just some stupid little kid thing. And yeah. they got it wrong. Like, I remembered what I said and they got it wrong. It didn't even matter that they got it wrong. But they still got it wrong. And I was oh, like, absolutely. I'm ten, I was 10 years old. I was completely disenfranchised with, with media and reporters already at that age and cynical and, and upset because I was like, but that's not what I said. And they're like, well, it's like what you said. I said, kind of like what I said, but it's not really like what I said. It's different. It's something different. Why is it different? And, you know, that if that can happen at that point, and of course it was inconsequential and meant nothing, but just think about, you know, people will take, will take something that they like and they'll misquote it and they'll, they'll, you know, the, Ev, your, your, uh, your, your good friend, Evan Williams, who uh, started mm -hmm. up Twitter, uh, and now Medium, he was writing because he had been quoted as saying something like, 
I don't care. I'm paraphrasing. I don't care uh, if uh, Instagram has more users than Twitter. Well, he actually wrote this long post kind of on Medium explaining what he meant by that because it was this quote that was sticking around. Why? Because he's the influential, like, founder of Twitter. Shareholders are not going to like that. Right. So, like, he has to... He has to explain himself now. He has to be very careful. And a lot of the time you see people just retreating from ever saying anything. They just, now they don't want to say anything. Well, uh, I don't mean this to turn into the I blame the media episode, but um, something I used to go through, I I don't know. I mean, I I think probably a lot of people have gotten this and they maybe they didn't even realize they've gotten this, but you'll be contacted by somebody or by a reporter and they're, of course, they're on deadline mm-hmm. and like they have to talk to you right, 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 right now. Um, good indication to be extra careful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here's what they, here's what usually happens. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry to have to say this, but this is my experience is that by and large, what you get is a call from a reporter. Um, and it becomes clear in the fullness of time that it comes down to a question like this. Gosh, I used to have a great example of this and now it's escaping me. But something like now... Now, you're a productivity guru. Would you say that email is the uh, is the single greatest tool ever in the history of office productivity? And I'd be like, um, <laughs> no, I would not say that. Well, would you say that, you know, and you it becomes clear that they, they have a setup. They have basically left a little piece right here where they're going to have a quote from productivity guru. And they need you to say basically this thing. And they will keep you on the phone as long as is expedient to get you to say something that's close enough to that thing that they can fill in that hole. Not, not all journalists, but it does happen. And it happens a lot. And it got to where I finally would not do an interview with somebody unless I could record it. Because I, I eventually became, this is one reason I, I'm not Merlin Man anymore, is things like this. And so I would say, look, I, you know, uh, there's certain like actual like large well-known newspapers and sites that I just wouldn't talk to anymore because they got it wrong so often. And I was the one looking like a chump because right. now they're the ones with the cannon. They're the ones with the big website. I'm the one who's misquoted. And now I sound like this namby-pamby guy who's got to go, no, 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 that's not what I said at all. Right, right. Or you took these two different things and concatenated into this other thing. And I never really said those things. These, those are two different things. So I finally got to where I said, like, look, just so you know, I'm going to record this. And if you don't, if you don't quote me accurately, yeah. I, will, I will release this. <laughs> Throw me the head, I throw you the whip. No time to argue. Right. Like, and, you know, but that's kind of, you end up having to have this, this really defensive attitude where it'd be really nice to get to sit and riff with somebody and say some interesting things and treat it like a blog post or a podcast, but you can. It's really more like being in court where you have to like measure every word and not say anything if you don't have to. Anyway, I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, it's one of those kind of unfortunate things where somebody who just wanted to talk about something and and I thought said it pretty well, um, you know, it it, it it blew up and you never, I guess you never know when that's going to happen. But the the upside of it, I think, is it, the, the, the positive takeaway is that guess what? You know, he's got, he's pretty influential now, maybe more than he wants to be. Uh, but how can he use that for something that's positive? What can he do with that kind of attention and focus that, that, you know, he can he can focus on something that uh, that that makes things better or gets people excited about something or, you know, yeah. what I mean? yeah, but I mean, like going back to that whole thing of like, I, you know, I personally I can't speak for other people, but I personally 
as I say, very rarely set out to do something with what I'm writing. Really? I'm not trying to make, well, no, I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm mostly thinking out loud in some ways, or I'm trying yeah. to clarify something in my own mind. That's part of the process. But like, all I'm trying to say is, I, I don't, I doubt that Marco wrote this, even trying to make Apple change how they are. I, don't, I think that would be a pretty tall order to think that he could post something on a Sunday night and make it change the way Apple does its policies about things in several different business units at many different levels in this giant corporation. I doubt that's even... And that, to me, that's the most obvious thing you could guess he wanted to have happen. Yeah. I think what he wanted to have happen is he said something we all kind of agreed with in a clear way and seemed kind of smart. That's why anybody posts something on a blog. But, you know, it's... Um, the, thing, the thing to wonder now is like... Well, I don't know. I kind of don't want to get into the the salacious parts of it, but I, I hope it doesn't have a huge downside for him. I kind of doubt that it will. Yeah, I don't think it will. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to like, you know, review his apps or something. I mean, you know. But it is, you know, the, 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 when, you, when something like this happens to somebody that you know, I think it suddenly makes you a little more sympathetic. As somebody who listens, who reads Marco's stuff, has listened to the show you did with, I mean, I have a dozen pals like that. Yeah. Some of them actual friends, <laughs> but people that I follow on things where like, I feel like, oh, I wish you could get this person better because I get them. I, I feel like I get them. And when you take this one thing out of context, a la the Howard Stern thing, you lose a lot of the nuance about mm -hmm. what makes them special yeah. when you try to now jam them into this being this role that they have never been and never will be. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those things where you you wonder if if they're going to now pull pull back a little like we were talking about before, because I don't want that, you know, like I like people who are willing to share and, and talk about their thoughts and opinions. And I hope he doesn't, you know, feel like he can't do that anymore. And I feel like, Sometimes if you preface it the right way, maybe that's what it requires. Like it's late Sunday night and I'm just sort of thinking about Apple. Just this is kind of, you know, like if he had prefaced it with that, would it have had less impact? None. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero, zero difference. Probably right. Yeah. And that's, and that's one reason why I came to believe or have come to believe that, you know, I think on podcasts, I hem and haw a little bit more, but there's really, there's no way to inoculate yourself against being misunderstood. Probably not. And, and that's, that's, so you either deal with that or, you know, but, you know, when you get into the game of trying to inoculate yourself or trying to say, I know people are going to say burp a derp a derp, <laughs> like that's not strong writing. That's, that's not the way people don't say burp a derp a derp in strong writing. Like, don't do that. Like, you've got to say that thing, but here's the problem. I mean, in order to me, like, I feel like in order to say something with something muscular, especially in a short format, is that you have to kind of just say it. You've got to say a thing and then back it up without, you know, huge amounts of throat clearing, right? Yeah. It's almost like a good email. Like you just want to say, here's the thing. But, you know, but the problem is, I think we all do worry about that. We all worry about being misunderstood. We all worry about, you know, word choice stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. 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 So what do you think? Should we button this up? Yeah, let's end it on that note. <laughs> okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. <laughs> <laughs>